good, good morning. It is time. Tell your neighbor right now, it's time. It is time for us as a church family to kick off a new season of ministry, a new series of messages. And all of this is kind of centered around what that song was getting at. And it's important for us to understand that it's time for us to understand that we are never changing who we are. By ourselves, we can not change who we are. But, but when we engage, when we really and truly connect in a life-changing, eternity-shaking relationship with Jesus, that, that is when our story turns for home. And the great news in God's economy is that every single one of us has a story. That every single one of us is created to live and to tell a story of God interacting collaborating in and through our lives and that as God does that our lives become not only a not only a sacred vehicle for his grace his amazing grace and truth and life and love but also our lives our stories become a teachable moment that other people can learn from that other people's stories are there for us to learn and discover who God is to to dive deep into the richness of his love and his personality and his character. And so that's what we're about as a church over the next few weeks in this series that we're starting, Cool Story Bro, but actually. Because the reality is everybody in God's economy has a phenomenally, eternally changed story to tell. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to share some of these stories as a church family. We're going to tell the stories and share the stories of ordinary people who have experienced the extraordinary power of God's amazing grace in a relationship with Jesus. And as we dive into these stories, we're also going to dive deep into the personality and character of God. We're going to get into some theology and the doctrines of who God is and how he operates and how we cooperate with him in this life that he's given us to live. I cannot tell you how important it is. I know there's a lot going on in our world right now. I know there's a lot going on in our lives. Summer's kind of wrapping up. School's ramping up. All of those things are going on, but I cannot impress upon you. I can't overstate the importance of making a commitment to be here over the next few weeks as together we explore who God is and what it looks like to live with him in a relationship that is rooted in his perfect, perfect, infinite and unconditional love. Now, today I'm going to share with you the story of Ronald. Ronald Paul is an employee of the orphanage that you and I have a relationship with in Haiti. Ever since the Haiti earthquake back in the early teens, we have had this relationship ongoing with this orphanage. Ronald is an employee down there. As a church family, we contribute and play a major role to feeding the kids in this orphanage every day to their education and hopefully leading to the transformation of their lives, which ultimately through our affiliation with C3 Global, leads to the transformation of a country that desperately, desperately needs that kind of transformation. But Ronald's story is an amazing, amazing example of how God 
brought together not only Ronald and those kids at the orphanage, but you and me. That, that Ronald's story intersects with the life of Lake Hills Church in a personal and a powerful and a profound way. In every single sense of the word, Ronald's is a cool story, bro. Check this out. My name is Paul Ronald, and I am from Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I grew up here for till I was 17 years. Then dad decided to, to get us a visa so we can travel and go every summer for a vacation in the States. Then dad decided that it would be better for us to go to the States and stay there. Well, of course, besides some political problems that we've had here, we knew that he was doing that also because he had another family. So we were to this we went to the state, we stayed and we went and filed for political asylum. Of course we were denied because my dad was doing some traveling, going back and forth to the state. So when we went there for interview record shows that my dad was in the state for a few days for like twice a year. That's how we get denied for, for the green card. One day on my way to work, ICE officer pulled me over. I still remember his face there. He was really nice. And um, my name pulls up as someone who was being deported, who was supposed to get deported a long time ago. July 2nd, 2008, I was sent back here. Once you've been deported, regardless of what you do, people don't really trust you. Till today, a lot of people don't trust me. It's just a matter of, are you a deportee? We call him debt over here. You are a debt. No one wants to hire you. They don't trust you. They're afraid of you. It's like I fell from a fifth of 50,000 feet to the ground. Well, of course, I'm not dead, but it hurt. Kerry helps Philip at the orphanage here. And um, since he needed someone to come and translate for the group that was coming from Texas, which is Lake Hill Stretch, and he said that he knew somebody. Philip was scared. He, tell, he told Kerry to bring me here. And Kerry brought me here and he said, do you speak English? Well, of course he said that in Creole. And I said, we, which means yes. And he said, well, okay. Then he start, we started speaking in English. And then he said, oh, okay, not bad. You do the job. I said, I want to ask you for a huge favor. I would like for people to think that I have a job, but you don't have to pay me. He said, okay, you sure, you sure I don't want to pay you? I don't have to pay you? I said, yeah, it's free. And you can use me in any way that you want. I'll do whatever. I just want people to think that I have a job. He said, okay, I want to try with you. 
So I spent four months here at this orphanage doing whatever chief want me to do. And I said, the only thing I want you to do for me is said, okay, I know there was a catch. And then, no, 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 it's a very small catch. It's like, okay, what is it? And I said, I'm working for free, but I know you do give the kids some food every day. If I can get a plate, we call it a deal. And so, all right. I volunteered. I was doing some benevola to get some food because it was a little bit tough. And after four months, he came, I remember, he gave me a white envelope. And he said, here. I opened it and I said, what do I need to do? And he said, no, that's for you. And I said, please don't fire me, man. You can keep your money, leave me here for a while. He said, no, no one's gonna fire you. You're my assistant from now on. I went home, I cried. In July, Lake Hills Church come back. There is a guy, a really nice guy. His name is Ted Smith. I will never forget his name. He walked to me and said, what do you do in life? And I remember my answer. I said, I'm living. Because well, that's what I do. I mean, I don't have any job. What do you want me to say? I said, I'm living. And he said, no, what do you do for a living? I said, yeah, I'm living for a living. <laughs> he said, no, do you have an occupation and stuff like that? I said, well, I'm a translator. Said, well, I know that you get that job because we're here, but after, what do you do? Do you go to school? That's when he started asking me real serious questions. And he said, well, what would you say if we were paying school for you? And I said, if you say you help me with school, my answer would be yes. He said, well, what can you do? I said, I don't know. I really didn't know because I was doing the living for a living. And he said, well, you can translate. What other languages do you speak? I said, I speak French, I speak Creole, obviously I speak a little bit of English. And when I do have one beer, I'd like to think I speak good Spanish. So, yeah, I think I, think I speak four languages. And he's like, you can be a diplomat. I know those type of jobs are for people that are like in high class. So I was like, okay. It was free school. You can't say no to free school. I have two more credits left, which I will be which will be covered by February of next year. When I finish getting those two credits, that would make me a licensed, yeah, a licensed diplomat. Within six months, I had a job and I was going to school. One year later, I got married. Now I have a beautiful baby named Benesia. She's a piece of work, but I think she's got that for me. In my theory says, if you knock, someone will open. If you ask, someone will give. I didn't ask to go to school. I asked to work 
or to help so I can get a plate of food. And it, I ended up having a job. And school. I don't pray for a lot of things in life. I don't need them. I have a better life that's waiting for me. Mm. <laughs> If I were smart, I'd send you home right now. But, well, that's not true. I'm not smart. Number two, there's too much in Ronald's story. There's too much there that is too rich and too deep for me to send you home and just hope that you got it. Because Ronald's story parallels a lot of ours. Now, you... Your dad may not have had a secret second family on the side, I hope. Uh, you know, you, you may not have been deported and been deported back to a developing country that is still struggling to this day to recover from that catastrophic earthquake. But I think all of us who've been around any amount of time at all, we, we can all understand what it feels like. And we've been there where we know what it feels like when it seems as though circumstances are conspiring. They're, they're conspiring to constrict our choices and our chances of success. We, we know what it feels like to get to the end of ourselves and not know what to do. Those of us who go by the name of Christian, if you've been pursuing Jesus for any amount of time at all, you've wrestled. I've struggled with where does God's power intersect with my performance with where does what God says he'll do interact with what he's called me to do and how do you how do you live that out on on a regular basis it's all right there in Ronald's story and and I think it's an incredibly important thing for us to to understand not just so that we can have more knowledge which can be helpful but so we can really and truly experience the fullness of of a life lived in relationship with the God who gave us the life in the first place. You know, some of you may be aware that in just about a month, together you and I are going to celebrate 20 years of Lake Hills Church. 20 years! Yay God! Yay God! I I remember when we started the church, I was 12, and... um, you know, there's a, there's a small handful of people here who remember what those early days were like. You remember that we were just struggling tooth and nail to survive year two. We couldn't have even imagined year 20. Some of you may remember that we had, we had a, couple of, a, a couple of trailers that had to be picked up every single Sunday morning before the sun came up, driven over to the school where we would have church and out of those trailers would come our children's ministry facilities, office partitions and toys, and they'd be set up and disinfected and then used during the service, and then that would be struck, put back in the trailers and stored until the next weekend. And every single week, week after week after week, a team of volunteers went and made that happen so that we could experience church, so that we could be a church family. Matter of fact, one of the volunteers who did that told me just before we moved into this facility and onto this campus, he said, hey, when we open the doors of that worship center, 
I say we drive them off of the cliff behind the church into Barton Creek and just have a bonfire. Some of you may remember, uh, you know, what it was like when, it, when Julie was, was running our children's ministry. And at the time, our children's ministry consisted of Emily and Joe. And, and that was it. And, and Julie would take them both to Kinko's on Saturday afternoon so she could use Kinko's computers. She put Ju- Emily in charge of babysitting duty, strap Joe into his stroller, hand him a bag of Pepperidge Farms goldfish, and go to work on the handout for the next day in LHC Kids. A couple will remember that there was a moment where we paid every bill that we absolutely had to pay, and there were $78 left in our bank account. That was a Thursday. I remember it vividly because I knew that we only had three days until we could have another worship service, and in that next worship service, God showed up, God provided, gave us enough fuel to take another step, and we just kept going. Those of you who remember those days probably are like me, and you know that we miss those days absolutely none at all. (laughs) There's not one part of me that wants to go back and experience that again. And there is not one part of me that would trade those days and those experiences for anything in the world. Not one thing, because it was during those days in particular where we discovered, where we experienced the exact same experience that Ronald had there in Haiti. You see, it was, it was in those experiences that we discovered and experienced the power the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that radiates out of the intersection of God's providence and people's perseverance. Now, God's providence is a big deal. God's providence is what theologians and scholars refer to, and it's an important thing for us to understand. God's providence is just this. This is a working definition. You may want to write this down so you can have it for later on. But God's providence is his supernatural provision, protection, and production of that which we cannot provide, protect, or produce. That's God's providence. And it's a a big theological term that has radical, revolutionary, practical implications. You know, It's all kind of captured for us there in the verse that Ronald referenced at the end of the video. He he referenced the actual words of Jesus that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But it's in Matthew 7 that Jesus said the following words. Check this out. This is verses 7 through 8 of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says now, now keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I think if if you and I could kind of just step back for a second, we would all say, particularly immediately on the heels of seeing Ronald's story, 
we would see the words of Jesus here from Matthew chapter 7, lift our hands in a supernatural shout and say, amen, Jesus, you just keep on asking, you just keep on seeking, you just keep on knocking, that's the truth, bring it, preach it, brother Mac, or something to that effect. But let's, for a moment, let, let's put Ronald and Haiti aside. Can we do that just for a second? Let's, let's, bring, let's just go to where we live day in and day out here in Austin, Texas, the center of the known universe, the place where everybody else wishes they could live, and everybody in California will soon. So <laughs> just in our day-to-day, in our day-to-day, if we were to go back to Matthew chapter 7 and say, keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking the door. Man, I am all over that. If that's the Christian thing, sign me up. Because there's a lot that I'd like to ask for. There's so much that I'm seeking. I've been knocking on the door of a promotion for months, for years. I would ask, I would ask just just for a bigger house. I don't want to be wealthy, Lord. I just want to be comfortable. That's, That's what we like to say, isn't it? Or, you know what, Lord, I'm seeking. I am seeking a husband so bad. You know, when I started seeking, Lord, I wanted a man who loved you passionately and would lift me up and help me to be everything that you created me to be. And, Lord, this this search has been going on for a while. So now, if he has a pulse, that would be cool. And I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to knock on the door of my manager and say, hey, you know, I've been a faithful employee. I've been around here. I've, I've, I've helped grow the business. And I'm kind of thinking, man, this would be a good time for a raise and or a promotion. Your choice, but just let me know. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I think a story like Ronald's helps us to really and truly get at what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7. I think a story like Ronald's gives us some perspective to see that Jesus is calling us, in, a, in the context of a relationship with him, he's calling us to, to go beneath the surface and the superficial, to submerge and, and get at the really, really important, to get at the real good stuff. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things that I just mentioned, but, but I don't know that that's exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Because when you think about the the providence of God, you, you think about the fact that everything Jesus tells us to do, everything that the Bible tells us to do, is ultimately rooted in a relationship. You see, my tendency, this is just Pastor Mac talking to you, okay? My tendency is to see the commands and want to do a list do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And, and to do that, and, and to be sure, the Bible's very, very clear about the commands. And, you know, the, there's the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. They're not the Ten Suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments. But even when God gives us a command, it is rooted in relationship. It is ultimately about connecting with Him in everything that we do. We know this because the Bible tells us that God is love. It's not just that God loves, which he does, but he is love. That, that God himself 
is the source, is the repository and the resource of all love. So everything that God does is a reflection of that love. And so when Jesus tells us to ask and we will receive, to seek and we will find, to knock and the door will be opened, all of a sudden we start to understand that ultimately this isn't just about the, the, our, our wish list and, and you know what we hope gets delivered to our door. Those things can be asked for, but ultimately Jesus is telling us it's, it's about connecting. It's about getting to know God and live in a relationship with him and to learn how he operates so that our lives cooperate and collaborate with him. And when we start to see our lives through that prism and through that filter, then all of a sudden everything we do can have purpose and meaning and significance. Every single part of our story actually matters Every mistake that we've made, every sin we've ever committed, all of it can be redeemed by the God who is great enough to create us, by God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All of that can be redeemed to work together for good for his purposes, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is who he is. This is what he does. And man, is Ronald's story a phenomenal example of that? I mean, let's just think about that for a second. Put yourself in in Ronald's shoes when he's arrested in the U.S. and tabbed for deportation. How easy would it have been for him in that moment to just throw up his hands and give up? Well, we had a good run here in the States. Sorry it didn't work out. We're going back to Haiti. Yip, yah, yeehaw. And then once he got back to Haiti where nobody would trust him, nobody would hire him. He didn't have a job. He was just living for a living. How easy would it have been for him to look around at not just the destruction and the rubble that's still evident today, but to look around at the despair and the absolute vacuum of hope that pervades that country except in a few isolated pockets and just say, you know what? I got deported. I'm back here in Haiti. I just, I just got to survive day to day. But he didn't do that. Ronald kept going. He kept persisting. He kept persevering. And he he discovered through his perseverance the providence of God. What are the odds that, that a ragtag bunch from Austin, Texas, shows up at an orphanage in Haiti, and a guy by the name of Ted Smith just has a conversation with him says hey what do you do and through that conversation begins to open ronald's mind open ronald's heart to to possibilities to to a vision of what's possible beyond just living for a living do you really think that that happens accidentally do you think that's just kind of like a just a just a complete coincidence of the cosmos but again Ronald's story parallels a lot of ours here. Your life is not a coincidence of the cosmos. My life. See, here's the deal. We did not just climb out of the primordial ooze. You were created in the image of Almighty God on purpose for a purpose. And it's in that purpose that we discover and experience His power 
where his providence intersects our perseverance and we keep going and we don't quit. I thought as I was preparing this sermon, how many times in my life, how many times have I quit in a, in a situation? How, how many times in my life have I quit on a circumstance? How many times have I maybe quit on a person? Right before God's providence showed up. Right before God did what only God can do. As I was doing what he had called me to do. I think it's, a, it's an incredible, incredible reminder. And, and just about the time that you start to feel down on yourself and you go, man, I've done that. I've been there. I, I've, I've, I've missed the breakthrough. I've, I've missed the display and the experience personally of God's providence because I didn't persevere. I didn't, I didn't persist. Just about the time you start to go, oh, dummy. Jesus, Jesus brings this back in, in such a powerful way. Look, look at how he, he, he brings this back to the relational aspect and, and the heart of God. You know, we can get down on ourselves, but, but look at what he says here in verses 9 through 11, Matthew 7. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Now, that'd be funny, but that's not the point that Jesus is making here. He goes, of course not. So if you who are sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Think about who God is. He is a good, good Father. You know, it's been an interesting dynamic. I, I've shared with, with you a while, for a while now as a, as a church family, the journey of our personal you know, nuclear family as our kids are getting older and Joe's still in college. Emily's just graduated college. She's moved out, has an apartment on her own, and is paying rent. It is awesome. <laughs> but you know, from time to time, when Julie and I will ask Emily if she wants to come over for dinner, if she wants to go out, or, or if we're shopping or something like that, from time to time, I like to kind of just like throw in a little surprise. I'm like, Emily, go ahead and get that. That's on me. Or if we're at dinner, like, like if we go to you know, get a burger or something like that, I'll be like, hey, Em, I got this. Don't worry about it. And she's like, Daddy. And I'm like, Princess. Anyway, I hope you understand that was sarcasm. If, if you're new around here, sarcasm is a spiritual gift submitted to the Holy Spirit, and we believe in it. Not to be mean, but to be funny. So anywho, as a dad, particularly a dad of a, of a relatively you know, contributing member of society now, it's, it's fun. It's fun to, to, to throw things out there that she didn't expect. She doesn't feel entitled to. And, and, I, and I do, I enjoy doing that. Julie loves to do that. But as a dad, 
when Emily will call me, or even Joe, who's still in school, they'll, they'll call and hey, hey, Dad, I got a question for you. How do you, how do you manage this financially? How, how do you, how do you manage like in because uh, I'm in the real world now, or I'm in college and I'm trying to like keep my finances. How do you handle this? Or Dad, I'm having I'm having a, an, a situation with a friend that I, I need to resolve and and. I don't know what they're going to do. And I'm like, Joe, here, here's what I would think about. Here are the things to consider. But, but ultimately, you pray about it, ask for wisdom, and then you act kindly and courageously and, and move on. And that, that's, as a dad, you're just kind of like, man, that's, that's pretty cool. When your kids who don't have to call you, call you and ask you. And, that, and I, I think as a father, God doesn't mind if we ask him for fluff, but he really wants us to ask him for the good stuff. He really wants us to come to him and say, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to see how to proceed at work or, or in my dating life or as a parent. Help me, to, help me to do this the way you want it done so that you're glorified and I'm satisfied. And, and so we, we ask God, yes, there's nothing wrong with asking him for the fluff. That's cool, but but make sure that we don't let the fluff eclipse the good stuff, the stuff that really, really matters. Because he's a father. He's he's your father. He created you to live with him in a relationship. And so Jesus can say with confidence, if you'll just ask, it'll be given to you. If you'll seek, you'll find it, and you just keep knocking, the door will be open to you. Because you see, Jesus is a Ph.D. in doorology. You see, when Jesus tells us to knock on the door, this is not just something that he kind of throws out there. He already understands. He knows how doors operate because he initiated the original knock. If you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Verse 20, the Bible says that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Just, just knocking. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in and have supper with you. I'm going to come in and just be a part of your life. I'm going to come in and be the Lord of your life. In London's St. Paul's Cathedral, there's a classic, classic painting of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And it depicts Jesus knocking on a door, apparently in a garden. And when you first see this painting, it's, it's staggering in its beauty and its scope, and you're just like, whoa. But there's a, there's a detail of this painting that unless you were looking for it, you'd miss. You see, on this painting of Jesus knocking on the door, there's no doorknob on the outside. It's, all you see is the flat panel of a door. The doorknob's on the inside. So what the artist is conveying there is good theology that that it's only the person who's on the inside that will open the door. Jesus just knocks. 
You know, when I, when I think about Jesus knocking on the door, maybe I've watched too much Blue Bloods or CSI, but I, I think, about, think about, you know, the SWAT team battering rams. There you go. Go. That's not how Jesus operates. He just, he just knocks. He knocks. Hoping that we'll open the door. Hoping that we'll invite him into our lives. Not just to go to church, but invite him into our, to engage, to connect with him personally. Going to church is fine and a good thing. We're in favor of that. But as a subset of opening the door of our lives and inviting him in. If you're here today and you've never done that, in just a minute, as a church, we want to give you the opportunity. It's all just an opportunity and an invitation to open that door. Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus died on a cross for you by name. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Yes, the world. But make no mistake about it, the world includes you by name. It includes me by name. God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him, whoever opens the door, would have eternal life beginning right here and right now, and never die. I want to ask you if you will bow your heads for just a moment. In this moment, if you have personally and definitively opened the door, I want to ask you to be praying. If you haven't opened the door personally and definitively, then we want to invite you to pray. We want to invite you to pray to open the door and invite Jesus into your life. Just right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning this relationship with him. Just silently right where you are, talk to God and say something like this. He'll hear you. He's perfect. He knows your heart already, but he wants you to connect with him, to hear from your heart. Something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm opening the door to my life. And I'm asking you to come in, to be the Lord of my life, to the director of my life. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Hiding nothing from you. Jesus, I confess my sin to you so that I can claim your forgiveness. I commit my life to you now, once and for all, in a relationship. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment, but if that was your prayer, 
if that was your, your door opening prayer, then I want you to know you're in the perfect place at the perfect moment to have done that because you're surrounded by people who want to help. People who are offering themselves to be a, a family of faith with you. We're not perfect by any stretch. We are by definition a hospital full of sinners. And we want to help. So if you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things so that we can help. Number one, if you would, just take your program. Just open it up right now, and you'll notice inside there's a thing there called the Connect Card. If you would, just fill that out and indicate about halfway down, maybe a third of the way, it says, I'm committing my life to Christ this week. Once you've completed that, you just tear it off at the perforation, the fold of the program, and hand it to one of our ushers before you leave. Maybe stop at the blue awning out underneath the, the big porch to your right and my left as you walk out. But what that does is it allows us to help at whatever pace works for you. It helps us to know. But the second thing I want to ask you to do as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if you just prayed that door-opening prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just lift your hand up high over your head for a moment, and as you do, understand that you're stamping this moment in your life to know that it was real, that it happened, that God did it and you responded, and you're stamping it in the life of this church. That's why we exist. And so we honor that and celebrate that. As you put your hands down, our family tradition is to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.